Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. My name's Erin and I'm a hypnobirthing and antenatal instructor, birth activist and all-round birth geek. In this podcast, I chat to experts in the field of pregnancy and birth, debunking myths around birth, diving into the research around maternity care and exploring what is it that means you're more likely to have a positive birthing experience. If you enjoy this podcast, do feel free to buy me a coffee and fund my caffeine habit. Link to my buy me a coffee page is in the podcast info. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Better Birth podcast. I have the honor of speaking to the very wonderful Florence today, who is the host of the OBS pod, which is an, a really fantastic uh, podcast, which you may have heard of. Um, Florence is a obs- ob- consultant obstetrician within the NHS uh, for over 30 years. Um, and she's also done a very wonderful TED talk, which I think is very, very exciting. So if you haven't listened to that or watched it, go and, and go and watch that. Um, but um, welcome, Florence. I'm so excited to chat to you today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Erin. It's it's lovely to be here. It's always nice to kind of visit other podcasts and exchange ideas. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, as you said, I've been an obstetrician for, yeah, longer than I care to remember, really. Um, and yeah, I started the OBS pod because I wanted to get information out to women. And I also wanted... Um, midwives to have an idea what was going on in the head of the obstetrician when they sent us women or asked us questions so I was just trying to kind of open up the conversation about what an obstetrician actually does yeah and it's it's, I think it's it's such a nice idea because I think that that relationship is is tricky to navigate sometimes and I think sometimes consultant obstetricians get a bit of bad rap um and definitely yeah and and it's nice to see and hear the alternative and the other side of things and where where maybe a consultant obstetrician is coming from so I think your podcast is essential listening for thank you pregnant people and birth workers yeah I think um I think the bottom line is we all want the same thing we all want to provide really good care for women during pregnancy and giving birth and new parents and sometimes we can lose sight of that yeah definitely so we're we're going to be talking about instrumental birth today which I really really wanted to get an episode on this because um like I said before we started recording it is something which you know, when I do, when I teach my antenatal classes, we do an exercise where we talk about what, you know, what's your top five fears about the birth and instrumental birth, you know, is a very common thing that people are absolutely terrified of. Um, and there has been some quite unfortunate news stories about, um, you know, tragic outcomes with the use of instrument instruments during birth particularly forceps so I thought it would it would be really nice to get some balanced information out there about uh, why instruments are used and the, the differences between the different types of instruments um, and what the alternatives are so I guess I just want to hand over to you I guess and just kind of maybe start right at the beginning um, around 
you know why why do we have instruments to use um when when somebody's giving giving birth so instrumental birth or assisted vaginal birth i often call it is um basically for a situation where a woman is fully dilated the baby's head is really nicely down in the pelvis and either we need to expedite birth because we've got concerns about the baby or the mother so we want things to move along quicker than they might naturally be doing so or there's what we deem as delay and I guess the thing about delay is difficult because if you're going to talk about delay then you're going to talk about time limits and sometimes we're using time limits in a kind of quite arbitrary way or it can seem quite arbitrary but there are situations in which we're worried about the length of time a woman has perhaps been pushing and we're worried about potential damage to her pelvic floor or she's exhausted and she's got to the point where she's got no energy left and she's actually asking for assistance. So there's quite a wide variety of reasons why you might find yourself in a situation needing an assisted vaginal birth. And it's more common in first births. So uh, a first time mother would have probably a one in three chance of an assisted vaginal birth. Whereas for a woman who's had a baby already, that's much, much lower. So if you've had a vaginal birth before, it's much more likely that you're going to have what we call a spontaneous vaginal birth where we're not using instruments. So it is a common fear and it is a common thing or situation that might be encountered towards the end of labor. And you're right, in my clinic, I do see women who are petrified and particularly feel that they don't want to have instruments under any circumstances. And then what I usually do is explain to them that there are different types of instrumental birth, both in terms of the instruments we're using, but also what we're talking about in terms of where the baby's head is and what position the baby's head is in. Because when we're doing vaginal examinations, we're thinking about how dilated is the cervix, the neck of the womb, but we're also thinking about the position of the baby's head. So a baby should ideally at this end stage of labor be in what we call an occipital anterior position. So the baby's back is towards the mum's front and um, if it's in that good position and the baby's head is deep down, very low in the pelvis, below the ischial spines, which are little bony um, prominences on the pelvis, then actually having uh, assistance at that stage might be what we might term a lift out or an outlet um, instrumental birth. So we're just literally doing that last tiny bit or giving assistance for that last tiny bit. And if your baby's in that position, then actually doing a cesarean is very difficult because we're pulling the baby back up into the woman's abdomen. So if you think about where we make a cut for a cesarean, that's kind of bikini line area. That's an awfully long way from 
being close to the open opening to the vagina and we're working against the womb the uterus and the contractions to bring the baby back up and out of the woman's abdomen so actually doing a cesarean at that point potentially has quite a lot of complications for mother and baby so we may suggest actually assistance is much better even if the woman is quite worried about it and that differs from what we call maybe a mid-cavity delivery where the baby's head is around the level of those bony prominences so at, at the spines we sometimes refer to it as or has a malposition so the baby's head is in maybe a back-to-back position or occipito-posterior or occipito-transverse where the baby's head hasn't rotated and it's still slightly sideways so that's a more complicated delivery potentially it still might be the right choice and still a cesarean at that point could have complications but there you've got much more of an option of saying what your preference might be yeah so and and it's it's something that I point out to clients when we're talking about instrumental birth and putting your preferences together um that you know, if baby is quite far down, then, you know, because because I think a lot of the time I'll get asked, what would you do? Or what do you think I should mm. do? And I can't answer that question because it depends on individual circumstances. It, it depends on the situation at the time. Um, and, it, and it also depends on, you know, a, a person's own assessment of risk. You know, cesarean mm. is major abdominal surgery. It has it, its own risks versus the risks of an instrumental birth. But I think people perceive a C-section as something quite routine and therefore quite safe. And an instrumental birth is something absolutely terrifying that they want to avoid at all costs without really understanding the nuances that you've just expressed. Yes. Yeah, and I think, the key thing is there's a big difference between a cesarean, a planned pre-labor cesarean birth and a cesarean birth at this point when you're right at the end of labor, which we know is potentially more complicated. And there's actually evidence now may have implications for a future pregnancy. So women that have a cesarean at full dilatation, so at this late stage, there is some evidence now that they're more at risk of preterm birth in a future pregnancy. Mm. And certainly at my hospital, if you've been through that, you will be offered a, a scan during pregnancy to look at the cervix and make sure it's not being damaged and to make sure that that, that risk of preterm birth is low. So I think you're right. There's a perception that cesarean's okay and instrumental birth isn't. And you know, there are complications from both. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean, I've, I'm, I narrowly myself um, avoided an instrumental birth um, with, with my first. Um, and I think I was very well aware of the, the potential risks of a forceps birth, you know, which are things like obviously uh, pelvic floor damage, for example, which I wanted to avoid. So I just pushed really hard Yes, <laughs> and, got, and got her out. Um, but, um, but, you know, like we've said, the cesarean does carry its own 
its own risks, like you've mentioned, as well as um, I saw uh, Dr. Stuart Fishbein talking about the potential risks of a C-section and things like uh, damage to bladder or, uh, for example. Um, and I think when people are considering and birth planning, I think it's really important that they, they do have all sets of, of risks so that they can make an assessment and, and not have to make that assessment in the middle of labour because that's yes. time to be thinking about which is the best thing to do now yes. uh, or, or making a kind of knee-jerk uh, d- decision. I don't, I don't want that. I want to yes. do this. genuinely might not be the right option. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing um, that possibly people don't understand is why we might choose forceps and why we might choose von twos. And von twos is a good instrument because um, it's a little suction cup. It goes on top of the baby's head and it doesn't increase the diameter of the baby's head because it's not going round the baby's head. So it tends to be better in terms of less tear or trauma um, to the pelvic floor for the woman, but it can cause um, bruising or um, sometimes grazes or cuts on the baby's scalp. Um, And it will stick really well um, if the baby hasn't already got a lot of swelling on its head. But all babies get a degree of swelling, what we call caput, soft tissue swelling, because they're being pushed down the birth canal. And if there's a lot of caput, then the suction cup, the von twos may not stick terribly well. And then you get the cup coming off and then potentially you get more trauma to the baby's scalp. So if there's a lot of caput, we might actually suggest forceps are a better instrument. Whereas if actually the baby is in that back-to-back position and we're going to as part of the assistance rotate the baby then we will usually use von twos so some units still do use what are called keelan's forceps which are rotational forceps but a lot of units don't because those are forceps that were associated with a lot of problems um and particularly um both for um maternal trauma but also the baby actually and so a lot of units don't use Keelan's forceps anymore so you would use forceps either you've already rotated the baby so you might rotate the baby manually with your hand or you've rotated with the Vantu suction cup and then put on the forceps or you'll be using the forceps because actually the baby's already in a good position but there's quite a lot of swelling on the baby's head and you know your suction cup's not going to stick very well. Mm. So there is a reason why we will suggest one or other. And so it's quite difficult if a woman has a bit of a blanket, I don't want forceps, because actually forceps might end up being the instrument that you would think is most likely to achieve the most successful and straightforward birth for her. Forceps you definitely need an episiotomy, a cut. Um, von twos commonly, it's more common with assistance and an instrumental birth to need an episiotomy. Sometimes with a von twos, actually you can control the birth of the baby's head really nicely and you don't necessarily need to make an episiotomy. 
but forceps really you you do otherwise you run the risk of of a more severe tear yeah there's so those are the sorts of things that we're kind of thinking about and talking to women about but I completely agree with you it's something that needs thinking about during pregnancy and then you you know because if a woman's got an epidural you can have a really good conversation about it because she can think but actually if a woman's in the throes of labor and she's not got that sort of pain relief she can't make a decision in you know because she's focusing and concentrating on giving birth and her contractions so it's not the right time to give women all that information no does does the does the position of baby matter when using a, a ventus? Like, because I mean, obviously, if baby say face presentation, you're not going to be able to use ventus because you can't attach it to a yeah. baby. Yeah. So I'm assuming that the position of baby also may may affect what yeah. the rest is. So a face presentation would always need to be a forceps, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. and. The position is very important. So one of the things we teach um, junior or trainee um, obstetricians to do is to feel the sutures, the lines between the bones and the frontonelles, the little gaps between the bones on the baby's head to determine which way around the baby is. And increasingly these days, we also use ultrasound to check the position of the baby's head because you need to apply the Vontu's cut in the right place which is called the flexion point so that the baby will come out without complications and and will actually deliver so it's crucial that we know exactly the position of the baby's head and therefore where to correctly apply the Vontu's you can't just sort of bung it on (laughs) (laughs) um and you mentioned the the Keelan's um yes so I, I did want to mention, the, obviously, that there was a, there has been some pretty scary, you know, n- news stories around mm. the forceps and fatalities of babies. And I, I believe the the most recent one that I saw was with the use of that type of forceps. Mm. And you mentioned that a lot of hospitals don't use that that anymore. If if somebody is in in labour and they are recommending forceps, would you recommend they ask what type of forceps they're planning to use? Um, They could ask. I think the most important thing is the person who's assisting, what are they most competent and comfortable using? Mm -hmm. So if you've got a consultant who has used Keelans their entire career and can use them very safely, then that's fine. If they're teaching someone else to use Keelans, then, you know, maybe not. Um, I I never learned to use Keelans, but I asked to use Keelans. I asked to learn to use Keelans um, from uh, an obstetrician when I was doing my training. And she said, no, I'm not going to teach you how to do that because it's obsolete. And and actually anything you can do with the Keelans, you can do with the Von Twos and it's safer. Mm-hmm. But I know, you know, I don't think, I think, yes, you could ask, is this, Keelans or is this the other main type we use is Neville Barnes forceps and they're they're a straight forceps what you can ask whether it's a rotational delivery and if it is a rotational delivery express a preference for Vantus 
But I think the most important thing is the competence of the person doing it, actually. So aside from when we talked about pelvic floor damage, which I think is something that most pregnant people are very, very scared about, Mm. uh, understandably, because it can have long term impact on on the person that's given birth. Um, and, and obviously we've, we've mentioned, you know, the very tragic outcomes that can happen with, with forceps. So what, what are the other risks that, that you do run, you know, a chance of, of, of experiencing with an instrumental birth? So the baby, so forceps can also leave little marks on the face um, or a little cut on the face. Generally babies recover very well from, from that or from, similar with the von twos um it's yeah i'd say it's more um maternal tearing perhaps issues with bladder control afterwards um so you may temporarily need a a catheter tube and one of the important things that we're checking before we're starting an instrumental birth is to make sure that the bladder is empty so often if you haven't passed urine recently, we'll suggest passing a catheter to make, to, to make sure the bladder's empty. So, um, and then infection of, of any stitching or episiotomy afterwards. So there was some new evidence relatively recently that suggested we should be giving all women that have an assisted vaginal birth a single dose of antibiotics at the time. And we now do that. Um, which reduces the chance of infection in the stitches. But I guess that's the sort of most important um, short-term complication. And the other one would be excessive bleeding. So if you cause tears, then usually you will bleed from those tears. So quite often we give a medication called tranexamic acid, which helps the blood clot. If we know we're going to be doing um, an instrumental birth, we might give that as a preventative measure to reduce the chance of heavy bleeding if we do make an episiotomy or we have an additional tear. And and the, the thing we're doing to try and prevent tearing, particularly with forceps, forceps um, are more likely to cause tears is it's important for us to protect the mother's vagina. So when we're slipping the forceps in, you literally should be able to hold the forceps as if you're holding a pencil between your um, thumb and forefinger, and you shouldn't be putting any pressure on them. So you put um, obstetric cream on them to lubricate, and then you're just literally sliding it round the baby's head with your other hand protecting the vaginal wall, because the complicating factor you can get is what is called a lateral wall tear where you get a tear um, up the side of the vagina and in my experience not always but a lot of the time that's caused when we're actually putting the forceps into the vagina rather than actually the the birth of the baby so it's about having care and experience um, in the person that's assisting with the the delivery yeah and it is and the the chances of of when we talk about tears we're talking about the the more serious ones that we want to be avoiding which are the third and fourth degree tears aren't we that's correct yeah yeah um so I guess 
one thing I really want to kind of make clear to people anyone that's listening to this that really you know really is scared about instrumental birth is is to understand what can minimize the chances Mm. of instrumental birth because there's lots of things that people can do during labor to minimize the chances of needing instrumental birth in the first place isn't there absolutely yeah I mean we do a lot at work in terms of biomechanics so positions that help open up the pelvis and enable the baby's head to come down in a good position and if we know the baby's in that back-to-back position we'll often if a woman's got an epidural maybe we'll be getting her on her side or using a peanut ball and things like that that help the baby to rotate so there is lots you know if you're more active and upright and perhaps on a birth center or using a birthing pool then you probably will instinctively do some of these things but if you're having a more medicated birth you know many women have induction of labor um, at the moment um then and you're you're deciding that you're going to have an epidural there are still lots of things that you can do and that the midwives can help you do having an empty bladder and um making sure that that's not obstructive and and in the way of the baby's head as it descends is another factor and then the other thing is actually often what we do if you do have an epidural is when you're fully dilated you if you've got an epidural you don't necessarily have that very strong urge to push that you do if you're um having labor without that and so often what we'll say is we might say well you are fully dilated but we're going to wait an hour or sometimes two hours before you start actively pushing because the lower the baby's head comes without you doing anything just with that passive contraction the better and then you are less likely to get totally exhausted because you started pushing when the baby's head was actually higher up so you know, trust your midwives or um, if you're not being offered time to wait, um, then, you know, ask, can you wait before you start pushing, you know, and where is the baby's head before you start pushing? Um, And obviously, if you're not having an epidural, then, you know, you'll you'll know instinctively when to push because your body will guide you. I think it's such a good point. Because I think there's an obsession with being 10 centimetres dilated and pushing immediately. Mm. Um, not always not always the best thing to be doing. Um, and I'm so glad that you mentioned biomechanics because it's something that I I did a, a, the biomechanics for birth course with midwife Molly O'Brien. Molly, yeah. Blew my mind that yeah. every single birth worker and midwife and obstetrician, you know, knows this stuff because all of those birth positions that she teaches you mm. know, are going to minimize potentially the chances of needing an instrumental birth because we are opening up the pelvis and getting baby into a good position. And I wish people knew all of those positions, you know, throughout pregnancy because a yes. lot of them are good ones to be doing as a daily exercise during pregnancy because if your baby's in a good position to start off with, you know, then you're minimizing the chances of an instrumental birth even before you've gone into labor. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah. We do we do a lot 
um, we've got a lot of midwives, like you say, that have done Molly's training and um, yeah, we've got little laminated sheets of the different positions and yeah. And it's, I think maybe some of the women are, think we're a bit mad because we come around on the ward round and we go, oh yes, actually I'm not going to prescribe you any drugs or do anything. I'm going to tell your midwife to get the peanut ball out and do wild and crazy positions with you. <laughs> and they slightly look at us like we've lost our minds, but it works, you know? Yeah. I, that just, I think, it's just, I think it's just amazing that that's, that's, that's what you're suggesting though, because yeah. I mean, you know, how wonderful is that? And, you know, I think a lot of people when they have epidurals, for example, don't necessarily realise that, they, you know, they don't have to be lying flat on their back. Mm, and mm. that maybe lying flat on your back is not helpful, um, you know, for, for helping with positioning baby and progressing your labour and that you could be side lying or having a peanut ball. Yeah. Or, you know, um, so it just it makes my heart happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's and there's some you know evidence that lying on your side can be a really good position for pushing because you've got that movement of the the coccyx so um the other thing is sort of use the equipment you've got mm -hmm. so we've got a bar that goes across the bed and then you can loop a sheet round it so you've got something to pull against if you want to so there's all sorts of kind of tricks and positions that you can use and I think when you're in that active pushing phase, finding what is comfortable for you and what seems to be helping your baby move down. And remember, you're working with your body, you're working with the contractions, the contractions in themselves. Uh, I mean, the the uterus is the most amazing organ. I, I, I find it fascinating. But if I'm doing a vaginal examination or I'm doing an assisted um, instrumental birth, I can feel the power of a contraction on my fingers, you know, so that is your body is pushing that baby down and all you're doing is working with your body. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is fascinating and it is mind blowing. Birth is just mm. amazing and generally works. Yes. Know, a lot of the time. Yes. Uh, we just we just need to be more in tune, I think, with our bodies. Yeah. And yes. Bodies. And I think for me, it's it becomes a bit sad that people are so worried about an assisted birth because it maybe it sounds a bit um, sort of mad when you're thinking about this birth, particularly for first time parents. I'm thinking I know if we give assistance now there's a massively higher chance of an uncomplicated, straightforward birth in the future. And that leaves so many options open, such as home birth, midwifery-led unit, you know, anything and everything. Whereas if I do a cesarean, then that potentially brings all sorts of risks into that woman's future sort of um, we used to talk about obstetric careers, which sounds a bit nuts. But the, but the point is, if we get it right the first time, even if that means a little bit of assistance at the end, then that sets her up to hopefully have good 
birth experiences in the future and less complications for her and her baby or babies however many she might have Um, and so that's the other thing that we are thinking about and I find it difficult when women who perhaps wanted a birth without intervention then ask for a cesarean because they're sort of accidentally jeopardizing that Mm. yeah I think it's it's just I'm I'm just reiterating it again but I do think it, it just shows why it's so important to 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 prep and to research before before you go into labor you know I had I got into a spat online recently on Instagram uh, commenting on somebody's really said that um, birth plans are a waste of time. And it boils my blood because it's it's not the birth plan that's the, that's the important thing necessarily. It's the process of writing it and researching mm. and doing your plan A and plan B and plan C. You know, planning yeah. for this area and planning for what happens if, if, I, if they suggest an instrumental birth. You can plan for your home birth absolutely but you need to think about different eventualities that might occur and that's why the the plan is so important and understanding things like this the nuances between you know different types of instruments or you know c-section versus instrumental birth which I think a lot of people don't understand I didn't with Mm. my test you know I didn't even I didn't even understand induction and I went with one um and I'm not going to regret it because I wouldn't be doing the job that I do now if I hadn't have had that experience. But I think a lot of people go into birth blind or with misconceptions. Um, And that's why your podcast is so important and hopefully mine, because we're dispelling those myths by putting that information out there and educating people in in an accessible way. So Yeah, I think you're right. So it's not that birth plans are useless. I think it's the importance of having yes having thought about it and then like you said a series of plans and I often say to women okay this is your plan but what's your contingency plan if this doesn't end up like this I don't want you to feel out of control and that you don't know what's happening so make like you say a series of plans and I think that's really beneficial and also explaining to women okay what are the What's the really important element? What's the thing that's really important to you? Whatever type of birth you end up with, what are the key things that you want so that we can hopefully make sure those those happen? Because, you know, like you've said, with the work I do, I'm really conscious of birth trauma. And I think a lot of that is, well, part of it is about not communicating properly and women not feeling informed and talked to and that they've had choices and options and time to think about their choices. Um, but but also um, the, a difference in expectation from what they were hoping for and then what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. And I think that loss of control and very fixed mindset on what birth should look like I think can be unhelpful and I think you know when I teach obviously I'll sing the praises of home birth and I do and I think home birth is fantastic and everyone you know everyone should consider it um 
but you still have to prepare prepare and plan for transfer mm. to hospital or for you know things to go a different way because birth is unpredictable you know and even someone that does you know a course with me and you know does all the prep and all the hypnobirthing and reads you know every single one of Dr Sarah Wickham's books may still end up with an unplanned c-section mm. um so we need to be you know thinking about different eventualities and 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 that ultimately is going to give you a sense of control which will minimize the chances of being traumatized I think yes, yes. yeah I feel like I could talk to you for hours but <laughs> I think we've covered everything that I wanted to cover around around instrumental birth um, and I hopefully everyone that's listening feels like they are better informed to make decisions about about that particular topic um where can they find your podcast and where can they find you on online if if anyone wants to follow you so my podcast is on all the usual platforms so it's on apple podcasts and it's on spotify and um uh amazon so it's the obs pod all one word and i can be found um on twitter um also the obs pod and Instagram, the OBS pod. And uh, I have got an email as well, which is the pod at gmail.com. So it's all quite simple. If you remember it's the OBS pod, <laughs> then you should find me. Amazing. And I love it when people get in touch actually and either suggest topics or tell me how they've used the podcast. Sometimes people, I like it, people dip in and out. So people tell me, oh, I got this problem and then, I listened to that episode and then it enabled me to go and ask the right questions and have a good conversation with the team looking after me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and then midwives as well tell me that they find it useful. So yeah. Yeah. Get in I, touch. Fab, fab resource. And, um, and yeah, I hope everybody goes and has a listen and I hope everyone found today's episode useful as well. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'll be I'll be contacting you, suggesting <laughs> suggesting topics for your podcast in the future. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. The Better Birth Podcast and all of its content is for educational and informational purposes only. You should consult your midwife or your doctor for anything in relation to your own pregnancy and birth. The opinions and the views of the guests on the Better Birth podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Better Birth or Erin Fung.